Hi, I'm Paul Stringfellow and welcome to Tech Interviews. This week, we crank up the volume as we find out how to amplify your data. So, settle back and enjoy the show. Hi, and welcome to this week's Tech Interviews. Uh, so this week, we're going to be taking a look at data and how we um, how we get the best from it. Um, and it's been inspired a little bit by an article that I read uh, that a friend of mine had, um, had published a couple of weeks back. Um, and he's a returning guest to the show. Um, and we're, we're going to talk about the article and um, a new phrase that he's come up with, which I think actually has quite a lot of value and meaning to uh, to, to people who are working with data and, and looking at how they get the very best and uh, the very best from their data assets. So, um, so that's what we're going to do this week and to help me to do that I'm joined by SA returning guest to the show uh, someone as always welcome it's Matt Watts hi Matt hey Paul how are you good to be back on the show again yeah no thanks for coming back on always nice to, to get your time I know you know you're a busy man um, so um, well look, we're gonna have a look at this uh, this article you wrote about data amplification ratios um, but before we do that why don't you for people who've maybe not heard you before or not not come across you before why don't you introduce yourself um, tell us who you are and a little bit about what you do Yes, fantastic. Thanks, Paul. So, yeah, I'm Matt Watson. I'm the Director of Technology and Strategy for NetApp across EMEA. Um, and I guess there's probably two parts to what my role. Um, one is that I work very closely with our sort of advanced research groups, our advanced technology groups, looking at the kind of technology and tools that we think we're going to need to bring to market over the next two, three, four or five years. Um, I'm also involved with helping with the messaging as we start to, to sort of transform NetApp from being kind of what we've been traditionally known as as to being much more focused around you know data uh, and data is the, the the organizational assets that people are trying to tap into um, and then the other part of my to do is, is i spend a huge amount of time with customers partners um and uh um, and blog and, and all the things that kind of go around uh, around getting that the, the message out there uh, thanks, Matt. And, and that probably that thing about getting, you know, did that leading NetApp's transformation from being this kind of, um, and I'm putting in air quotes, which of course always works on a podcast, traditional yeah. storage company. Um, people just imagine what they look like. Um, but yeah, but this idea of transforming NetApp from a traditional storage company to this one focused around uh, data assets. And I, and I guess that's a, probably a little bit behind this um, this, this article that you've written. Um, we talk about this concept of data amplification ratio. So, you know, it's not a phrase I've ever come across before. It may even be a phrase you've just invented. Um, we'll, we'll get into that. Um, but but what, what do you mean by that? What, you know, what's the background behind this concept? So, um, so it actually came from a, a discussion I was having with um, Andy Bryant, who's um, one of our, our technical specialists out of the US. And, um, and he sort of studied you know, this theory or this idea, let's say, around, you know, it's, it's, it's about how do you take the data that you've got and then make that accessible to, you know, in many different places or to many different applications. And it's, we, we started bouncing this backwards and forwards, and I just thought it was a really, really solid idea. Um, and um, so the concept of data amplification or data amplification ratio was something that I kind of coined. I, I had a look on the internet. No one else seemed to have taken it, so I grabbed it. <clears throat> and, um, and, then, and then obviously put the blog out there. But, you know, it is very much around, you know, how... And we, we were talking about this just before the podcast, and so I'll come back to this at the end. But it's the way I always think about it is the, the sort of I draw a line, which is effectively data. I draw a nice horizontal line, and then I think there's a lot, bunch of stuff you can do underneath it, and a bunch of stuff you can do above it. So if that line, that horizontal line, represents your data, underneath that, it's all about how do we deduplicate it, how can we compress it, how can we compact it, how can we, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's how do we effectively take that data um, and, and store it in the minimum kind of physical or the minimum um, amount of resources underneath. 
And that could be um, cloud-based resources, especially if you think about NetApp with OnTap Cloud, or that could be physical hardware, SSDs, etc. But we get really focused and really hung up about this, and I think this is what got me started about it, was there are so many times I see vendors come out and go, oh, yeah, well, we can do a, a, a 4.9 to 1 guarantee, storage efficiency guarantee, and the next one comes along, we'll do a 5 to 1 storage efficiency guarantee, the next one's a 6 to 1. And it sounds really, really good. You think, wow, isn't that impressive? But if you think about it, we have a, a kind of an expression at NetApp um, from, you know, it doesn't matter what the problem is, the solution is usually two controllers and two shelves of disks. Um, and I know that's a bit kind of cheeky, but the reality is the majority of customers, that's the kind of capacities they're buying. And when you think about efficiency in that context, what we're arguing about here is that one vendor might save you a half an SSD over another one. It, when you actually take it back to stop thinking about one to one, two to one, three to one, four to one, five to one, and think about that in the context of what you're actually buying, and you suddenly realize that in many, many cases it's completely meaningless, and we end up spending lots and lots of time boasting about it. And that's, I think, where this kind of came about, the discussion I had with Andy. Um, it just really resonated with me because we're spending all of our time talking about the stuff that's underneath the data, which in many, many cases is, it can almost be meaningless when you start to think about the majority of customers. It's interesting that you look at that because I think we've seen that a lot as well. You know, the idea that we'll we'll talk about, we can compress some data here, we can do this, we can save. I think it's a great example, actually, half a half a disk of, you know, half an SSD drive somewhere uh, that, that when we're designing a, a solution. But the reality is actually for most people when they buy a solution, you know, you're buying a couple of controllers with a shelf of disks. And it doesn't matter whether you're using half a disk less, you've still actually bought that disk because, because you've had to. And, you know, I think that kind of... Um, getting hung up on that is, is something that we, we see an awful lot. Um, so, so this idea of data amplification ratio then, I, I guess, sits looking at this kind of second part of that, which is not so much about how, uh, how you store the data uh, on there, but actually about, is this more about what you do with the data once you've got it? Yeah, it is. So I think we, I think we made a step towards this when um, Carling first came out. So when we had the concept of taking uh, a volume of data and be able to create a kind of a virtual clone of that or a virtual copy of that, um, which you could then operate on but didn't consume any, any additional space, that was when we had that first time where you could say, <clears throat> rather than creating multiple true physical copies for different purposes, I need a copy for tests, a copy for development, a copy for disaster recovery, you could start to create these virtual copies, these replicas, which didn't consume any space and then start to use those. You'll see you're effectively now starting to amplify the data. You're starting to be able to use what is effectively a core set of data, which you're representing through these virtual clones, so you're effectively amplifying how you can use that data. So that was where it started. Um, and I think where we've got to now, and the, the, the point behind the article I wrote was, if you now start to think about many companies um, are moving towards hybrid cloud, in fact, some of the research I've seen recently says only 1% of companies are not looking at or are already implementing hybrid cloud. So, you know, 99% of companies, according to statistics, are, are going that way. So when you now start to think, well, <clears throat> what if I could replicate data into Amazon? So I've now amplified, effectively you've created a copy at that point, right? But if inside Amazon I have the ability to create zero overhead clones, which of course we can do with ONTAP Cloud, 
Now I'm starting to amplify again. But once my data is inside Amazon, how many applications could I now point at it? I mean, if you go, you know as well as I do, if you go to the um, Amazon's kind of dashboard, how many applications are there available for you to, to bring online? You know, hundreds, right? So you now have the ability to say that from one physical copy, I can now create multiple replicas, which I can now attach to hundreds, if not thousands, of different applications um, to do whatever it is that I need to do. And what if I could also do that with Microsoft or with Google or with so that's the concept is being able to take one kind of core set of data and then literally um, be able to expose that to vast compute resources and vast application environments as people start to, to, to look at new ways that, 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 that they're trying to build applications or, or extract value from data. Yeah, and I think you've, um, you know, and I think you, you know, you make an interesting point there because I, th I think the idea of taking the data that we own and being able to do other things with it, you know, is something that we're seeing lots and lots more interesting. You know, and that's not just about taking production data; it's looking at data that I back up. You know, is that something that I can? Can I do something with it? Can I anal analyze that data and and do more with it? Um, and, and I think it leads to this kind of idea of. It, it often depends where the focus is, and I think we've seen a big shift over the last four or five years in that the way organizations start to look at um, their their technology infrastructure, you know, they're no longer that interested, I don't think, um, you know, I don't think they're that interested now so much in the physical infrastructure that sits below it. Maybe lots of this has been driven by cloud in that, um, you know, increasingly we're seeing this, this, I just want to subscribe to a service, just deliver me a thing that, that works. And I think we're seeing that in the terms of IT decision makers now. They're less and less bothered about the, uh, you know, the shiny, uh, shiny, spinny things, the flashing lights. They're just interested in in the goal from from what they get, you know, what what does the technology deliver them? What what's the business value of that? And and is that kind of what you're seeing? And and maybe has led to this. It's that you're, you're seeing that shift in that organisations are starting to be more interested in the business outcome rather than the technology that sits underneath it. Yes, and let me qualify that. So in in general terms, yes. I mean, we I still get I still meet with people. Usually in larger organizations where you meet with a technical team and they, they do still really like to talk about the technology. Um, but generally, the conversations that I'm having are much more um, kind of business focused, much more business outcome focused. Um, in, in fact, I had a, I was a meeting I had a few weeks ago with a, a bank in the city. And it was just one of those perfect meetings. We managed to get to the CIO, we had the CTO in the room, uh, we had the head of finance in the room. Not quite sure how that happened, but but she joined, which was which is always uh, an interesting perspective. Head of infrastructure. I mean, it was literally it was the perfect meeting that you want to get. Um, and um, and we so we started talking about it, and you could see they were expecting us to have a storage conversation. And um, we did a quick roundtable for everyone to introduce themselves. And the bit that really stood out for me, and I just thought this was wonderful, was we got to the CTO, and the CTO said. We're using our own technology on-premise with a lot of different applications. He said, we're already working with Microsoft. We're looking to work with Amazon. We're trying to start looking at doing an analytics project. And he said, and the challenge we've got is data. He said, what we need is some kind of data fabric that allows us to move the data across all these resources such that we can have it in the right place at the right time with the right characteristics. And that was one of those perfect moments because I was the next person to introduce myself. 
I, I said, I think I might have an interesting story for you. And of course, I could go straight into data fabric about how do we put the data into the right location such that we can extract the maximum amount of value from it using the resources that are available in that location. Um, and it was it's just a perfect storm. Those tend to be the kind of conversations I have more frequently now than, than certainly ever before. So, so I mean, this, this, this idea, you know, and, and I, you know, and I, I fully buy into the, the idea actually. I think because that's certainly the conversation that we're having. You know, the, the, and I think you're absolutely right. You know, there is, there is always going to be a place for a technical conversation because somebody inside an organisation is is charged with making sure this stuff works. Now, particularly if you're doing it on premises, they're they're going to be charged with. I want to make sure those lights are always flashing. Those you know, those drives are always delivering data because ultimately, that's uh, without those things, the business doesn't doesn't grab any value from it um, but I think that idea that the conversation we're having now is is much more driven around business outcomes and actually that idea that but data is the challenge you know I might want to do an analytics project taking your example before I might want to do an analytics project using analytics tools that maybe an Amazon or a Google or a Microsoft are, are presenting and making available to me but how on earth do I get my data there so you know I mean as maybe leads on to my, my next question so if, if we're going to be able to amplify our data then to take this idea of, uh, of data amplification ratio I mean what, what are some of the ways that we can look to do that you know what are, what are some of the considerations that we need to have what are some of the um, you know you use phrase fabric before you know and, and obviously people who've listened to this show have probably heard that phrase before you know but but what are the kind of things that we we need to do to kind of stitch this thing together so that we can start to take more advantage of the data we have yeah, I like I love loving your work there Paul with the fabric and stitching <laughs> <laughs> so um, you know I, I, and I don't, I don't want to make this too much of a, of a sales pitch on your, your, your podcast here, Paul. But, um, I mean, the reality is I think data fabric is not something that, that NetApp wanted to ever own or, or try and take ownership of. Um, it, we recognize that the data fabric as a concept was just a very, very good idea. And that what we wanted to do was bring capabilities to it to, to sort of bring it to life for people. So the idea of data fabric is how do you create a... A kind of a data platform, if you like, that can span technology that you may run on-premise, technology inside one of the hyperscalers, technology that could be running in a number of different cloud providers, because it's all physically different. So how could you start to, to put a, a fabric in place that would allow data to have mobility across that? And what we've been focused on is really bringing technologies that, that, that make that happen. You know, we started off with, you know, a lot of technologies that people can run themselves as engineered systems. Now it's starting to deliver technology that can run on commodity hardware. We can also run our technology inside Microsoft, inside Amazon, and there's about 270 other partners that are running it. So suddenly now you're starting to get that, that fabric where data has mobility across it. Um, and and taking a very open approach means people can choose. You know, you, you then have the choice of, is, it, is Amazon the right place to put this in order to do what we want to do? Is it better with Microsoft? Is it better with somebody else? But it, it's about having that fabric in place that enables you to make those decisions. And that, that's what's been a big focus for us. So, yeah, data fabric, I think, is, don't think of it as a net thing, but I think think of it as a, a very good idea in trying to make this, this kind of hybrid environment come to life.
Yeah, I, th- I, mean, I think you covered that really well, actually. And that, that idea and the, the note I made here while you were talking was that idea of, of data mobility, you know. And, and you're right, you know, we, we don't want to make this a, a NetApp advert. That, that's not the point of the show. I think, yeah. it, you know, the, I think the concept in itself is one that's interesting, you know. And if, if you're listening to this as uh, somebody who's looking at how I get the best from my data, it's actually probably that point you've just raised, isn't it? It's this idea of being able to have your data where you want it, when you want it, you know, so whatever technology partners you choose to work with, I suppose that's the thing you're looking for, is it the idea that can can I build, can I stitch together a set of solutions, whether it's from one vendor or multiple vendors, it doesn't matter, can I stitch a set of solutions together so I can move my data into the kind of areas that I need to, you know, is is that kind of, is, is that kind of what we're getting at? It's exactly that, you know, and when you start thinking about it that way, then as you start to look at um, the, the sort of tools or the, the, the capabilities that you need to, to, to have in place, and you start thinking, well, about security, encryption, about protection, then when you suddenly, when you're coming up with the concept of a fabric, you're effectively layering these capabilities on top rather than thinking of them in, in a more of a siloed kind of fashion, which gets very, very complex very, very quickly. You're starting to think, actually, if I've got this kind of fabric where data can move, then what do I need to bring to bear to, to give it encryption? What do I need to bring to bear to give uh, to do search? You know, whether you're working with you know with the GDPR stuff coming up, you know, how much easier is that if you you're thinking about how do I put tools above the data that sits on a fabric that would help me comply with GDPR? So it, that it's just a different way of thinking, and I think it, it's it certainly seems to be resonating um, with with people I speak to. Yeah, I agree. I think you know, there's certainly the the strategic conversation we have with with people is, uh, and certainly ones I've been involved in. You know, that idea of yeah, how do I how do I get my data where I need it because I want to be able to do more with with what I've got, and I want to be able to control it and maintain maintain compliance and privacy and security. You know, all, all of those things. So, so obviously, you, you you know, you mentioned that this came about from a, a kind of internal conversation it had at NetApp. Um, so, so have you guys seen any interesting use cases where people have maybe not called it a date? probably haven't called it a date ramification ratio, but have you seen any interesting use cases or um, business outcomes where people have, have taken advantage of these kind of ideas um, and, and gained some, some real benefit from it? Yes, I, I mean, to be honest, I mean, ourselves is, is probably, you know, is one very good reference. I mean, you know, the, the work that we've been doing around kind of artificial intelligence with um, Elio, you know, we pull, we pull data from about 250,000 controllers um, on a kind of a day weekly basis, um, which if it comes back to us to allow us to do kind of diagnosis, to do, um, you know, just, just to look and see how systems are behaving. It's all in conjunction with our customers. They agree to this. We used to feed that into an Oracle database, but that was just becoming too challenging. So we now move that into Hadoop. Um, and now that we've got that in Hadoop, we're, we're actually starting to connect that into Spark. We're starting to connect that into IBM Watson. So we're starting to take data that previously was effectively just something that we would go and query if we'd seen a failure. We'd go and look at it and say, is, is there anything else that could exhibit this kind of failure from the other systems that are out there? Now that we've got that into Hadoop, now that we're connected to um, AWS, connected to Microsoft, connected to IBM, we can start to amplify the use cases. And we're now using that, as I say, to feed into artificial intelligence systems as machine learning algorithms. So, you know, that, that's a good example or a good idea about how once you start to think in this way, you can suddenly take data sets that previously only had really one purpose and start to amplify the opportunities that you have around them. Yeah, and I think that's a really, uh, you know, a, a really powerful statement as well, taking data that, 
initially you look at as only having one purpose and looking at how do I how do I wring more value out of that data rather than it just being one thing that just sits there, whether it's in production or an archive or wherever it sits, but actually saying Maybe I could do more with this. If I could present this to something else, present this to another system, bring this together with other other data sets, maybe I can find out more interesting things that can allow me to make better business decisions, generate new opportunities, provide better customer service. Now, I think that's a it's a really interesting concept. Um, uh, there's one thing else I, I also wanted to pick up to you. Know, we, we met up um, at an event uh, back end of last year, and we, we were having a little chat. Um, uh, you know, one of the favorite phrases that we hear often when we talk about data is how data is the new oil or the new um, fantastically, uh, fantastically expensive commodity of your choice. But we'll go with oil for now, um, only because I had to fill the car up this morning, so it always reminds me how much oil costs. Um, yeah. But you, you mentioned the phrase that actually you don't look at it that way and that data isn't really like the new oil. Um, and, you know, so for a bit of controversy on, on tech interviews for change, what do you mean data's not the new oil? Yeah, so I, I, I'm... You get these wonderful statements that kind of come out, and they'll come out in a publication or a magazine, and, and then everyone starts quoting them. And we do. I've seen them. So many of our people, you know, NetApp people, talk about this. And I just think we've got to be very, very careful with these kind of statements because when it comes to oil, it's about how much of it can you get. Your it, your net value as an oil company comes down to how much oil do you own or have access to that you can refine and sell on. There's nothing intelligent in the oil. You know, we're oil from one company, it's the same as the oil from another company. It's simply a volume model. So, and that's not the same as data. Data, when we, we think about the future, is not about how much of it you have. It's not, if you can, you can have mass, vast quantities of data, you will therefore be a very valuable company. It's just rubbish. It's a question of if you can amass the right type of data. And because here's the difference. Oil is fungible, which effectively means I can take a, 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 a cup of oil and away from you and give you another cup of oil, and I've effectively just replaced it with exactly the same thing. It, it is fungible in nature. Data is not. Data is very, very different. Um, one PowerPoint presentation, can, because of the contents, can be completely different to another one. Therefore, its value can be very, very different. So whenever I hear people talking about, oh, data is the new oil, they kind of throw this statement out there. And I think unless you give people context, that's very, very misleading. Data will create new industries. It will um, create whole new revenue possibilities and value inside organizations. But it's about finding the right data, not collecting everything, but collecting the information that could have value to you and then finding the tools that will help you extract that value. And that, that's why I, I, is data the new oil from a, um, will it create new industries or will it create the rise of the big industry? Yes. But is it like actually like oil? No, completely, completely different. Yeah, I think that's um, and probably leads nicely on to kind of how, how we can wrap up today. And I think I think that's a really interesting um, uh, that that's a really interesting separation of you know the, the, these kind of statements that we all use them, and I know I've used them that we talk about data is the new something or other. But actually, yeah, you, you're quite right. It's not about the volume of data that you have that that makes your success. It's about having data that it, it, it's actually the, a, a valuable and correct data set 
that is a thing that you can extract value from, not not just the masses of it. Um, and that probably leads me on to kind of my last point, which which this idea of uh, you know, and I really like this phrase, data amplification ratio, and um, I'll, I'll steal it before you trademark it. <laughs> um, but I mean, where do you see this kind of stuff heading then? You know, how, how do you see people? you know, taking advantage of data in, in interesting and, and successful ways in the future, you know, what, what are some of the some of the changes that, that, that maybe we should expect to see? Well, so I think one of the things that, um, and it'll be a follow-up post, um, so I won't give you too many details just so you don't grab it before I get it out there, <laughs> um, but there's, there's going to be a follow-up around this sort of data amplification because one thing is our ability to amplify data um, gives, as we've just been talking about, gives us the ability to to look at to interrogate that data with far greater resources and a greater number of applications. Um, so I think that, that's good. Um, but there's also a thing around frequency, which we've got to think about as well, is you know, amplification is wonderful, but it's also about the speed at which we can amplify. So the faster I can get data to where it needs to be, and then the more rapidly I can create kind of replicas of that data and attach them to different applications or different compute resources, that has a bearing on this as well. So I think data kind of amplification is, is kind of where we are at the moment. It's how do we get data to, where, to a place where it could be, where we could look to get better value from it because we can bring resources to it. But I think we'll start to see this concept of frequency come through, which is now how rapidly can we do that? Um, and then how do we start to, to automate that so that it's happening in you know, a huge amount of frequency, um, but without people actually having to get involved. So I, I suspect that's kind of where this will start to go next. We've underpinned the concept of data amplification, but now how can we start to add and increase frequency to it? So you could have pretty complex workflows operating around a set of data that are bringing different applications to bear against it, to transform it and to change it. Um, and it could be happening hundreds of times a minute. And so I think that, that will be an interesting direction I think this could go in. Yeah, and I think that, that kind of sums up the, the, the interesting space that we're, we're all part of at the moment. I think, you know, the technology industry is as interesting now as it, it's been in the, the 20 or so years I, I've been working in it, because I think that it's a it's really interesting to see where the way we utilize data and the way we gather data, how that's, as you touched on before, actually, how that's creating new industries, creating new ways of doing things. And, and I think it's going to continue to be really, really fascinating to see how, how things like this develop and how things, you know, this idea of amplifying the data we've got and doing more with it, you know, how that how that makes us think differently and, and leads us to deploying new and new and interesting technologies. So, um, so Matt, I think that's been a really interesting chat. I'm, I'm sure that will generate lots of debate uh, amongst our, our listeners and, and no doubt we'll, uh, we'll, we'll pick up some interesting tweets. Um, uh, you know, but, but that, you know, I, I think, as I say, a, a fascinating topic and, um, and, you know, and, and, and thanks, for, thanks for sharing that with us. So, um, look, before we go, um, if people want to find out more about you and see some of the more of the posts and, and content that you put out there, um, how can they you down on social media? So um, that post went live on uh, I have a blog site, whats-innovating.com. Um, so feel free to drop comments on there if you read the post and you want to, uh, to comment or critique or chastise me. And, uh, and then on uh, Facebook, sorry, on Twitter, I'm at MTJ Watts, Matthew Thomas James Watts, MTJ Watts. Okay, Matt, that's great. Uh, look, I re really appreciate your time and, uh, you know, thanks for spending some more time on the Tech Intrus podcast. And uh, I look forward to, uh, to you coming back on again in the, in the future. Thanks, Matt. It's been a pleasure. I look forward to it as well. Thanks, Paul. 
I hope you enjoyed that. For show notes, pop over to techstringy.com. We'll also find all of our previous Tech Interviews episodes. If you enjoyed the show, why not subscribe? You can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud and Stitcher, as well as all other good homes of podcasts. So, until next time, thanks for listening. <laughs>